those of you who are parents or maybe grandparents, what is the ultimate thing that you desire for your child or children or grandchildren? What is the best thing you could want for them? Even if you don't have children of your own, I think you can probably very easily suppose how you might answer that question if you were in a parent's shoes. As a Christian, when you pray, what is one of the ultimate things that you can ask God for regarding your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is, is there something that could be evaluated as being, well, maybe not necessarily right at the top of the list, but top three, top five, or maybe top? How might you describe what it means to be as much of a Christian as it's possible to be this side of heaven? Well, many commentators point to the second half of verse 19 of Ephesians 3 and the little phrase that we find there and, and they say that, well, perhaps... This is, this is kind of the greatest thing that any Christian can pray for another Christian. To be filled with all the fullness of God. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Quite a, quite a request. Now, in this particular prayer, it's, it's Paul's final request. That all the saints might be filled with God's fullness. Well, let's think about this for a while. And then we'll move on to the doxology. The word doxology means a little hymn of praise at the end, starting at verse 20. But first of all, the end of verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, Paul prays for many things for the saints of God. And I guess in many ways, in this simple phrase, he kind of draws it all together and presents it as being filled with all the fullness of God. What does he mean? Filled with all the fullness of God. Well, let's establish first of all what he does not mean. He does not mean that Christians can become everything that God is. That will never happen. Even the angels in heaven who have never sinned are not filled with everything that God is. There are attributes, things uh, truth statements about God's nature and character, there are attributes which God possesses which are his and his alone. There are attributes which are true of God that can never be true of a Christian, not even when we get to heaven. 
truths about God which will only ever be true about God. So Paul is not suggesting that we can somehow be filled with or even become everything that God is. I'll give you a few examples. God is eternal. Now we are promised everlasting life, but we're not eternal. We had a most very definite beginning. There was most definitely a time when none of us existed. But God is eternal. There has never been a single moment when God has not been God. There have been quite a few thousands of years when I have not been me. So that's not something that I can take on board. And God is everywhere. The technical term is omnipresent. There is no place in time or space and God is not there. He's everywhere. That will never be true of you and me. God possesses all knowledge and wisdom. Well, we're encouraged to increase in knowledge. And I'm sure when we get to glory, there will be many things that our eyes are open to. But we'll, we'll never possess all knowledge and wisdom like God does. That is his preserve and his alone. God never changes. Never. He is immutable. The same yesterday, today and forever. No created man or woman will ever attain to these things. Not even in heaven. These are God's alone. You and I can never become everything that God is. Otherwise, he would cease to be God, wouldn't he? We'd all be gods. That can't be the case. So that's not, that's not what Paul is praying. And actually, many commentators make the point that if in your translation it says being filled with all the fullness of God... A better word would be unto or according to all the fullness of God. Let me give you two illustrations to try and explain it. Imagine you won a competition being run by a petrol company. Every time you go to fill up, they, they, they say, oh, you've, you've been entered into a free competition. Oh, thank you very much. What's the prize? Well, if you win, you can fill up your car for the rest of your life. With all the fullness of Shell or BP or Esso or other petrol companies are available, whoever they are, what would that mean? That for the rest of your life, you can draw upon the resources of that company and fill up your car for free. Now, will you ever have in your car all the petrol that that company has ever produced? No, of course not. Nothing near because your, your car's tank is only this big. But it's the nature of the resource that you will be drawing upon that's the point. You will have the fullness of that petrol company and that petrol supply available to you. It wouldn't matter if you only did 10 miles a year or whether you did 100,000 miles a year. 
you could keep on going and keep on going and fill up your tank every single time because it's the nature of the resource that you're drawing from. Or imagine being invited to a birthday party and there's a buffet table, but it's not really worth the term buffet. A couple of turned up sandwiches and a single packet of crisps. Eat your fill, invites the host. But there's not much fullness to partake in. And you could easily consume the entire buffet yourself and still not be full. You've eaten of the fullness, but it was very, very thin. The next week, you're invited to another party. And what a difference. Table after table groaning under the weight of the food. Eat your fill, invites the host. And you do. And you could have done so over and over and over again. You've only eaten as much as you could manage. But it could be said of you that you have been filled with all the fullness of your host. Because so rich and abundant has their supply been. You've been filled by the abundance of the riches of their supply. That's what Paul is praying for Christians. That their lives might be filled from the fullness and the richness of God's supply. And because of the fullness and richness of God's supply. Because God has all the resources that you will ever need as a Christian and he has them without limit. You will never exhaust his supply. All the things that you're in need of, he's never going to run out. He'll never pass around a ration book saying only this much today. Things are a bit tight this month. The fullness of God's supply is yours. And the Apostle Paul is praying that as Christians, we would fill ourselves according to the fullness of that which God will supply. There's, there's no limit to how much you can partake. There's no level by which, uh, by which point uh, God will say this far and no further. You can just keep on. And keep on being filled with the fullness of God. Now of course there's a verse in, uh, in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And it says this. In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. Who is the head of all principality and power. Now you might ask, is that not a bit of a contradiction to what Paul is praying here in Ephesians 3.19? To one church he says, you are complete in Christ. And for another church he's praying that they might be filled with all the fullness. Is there a contradiction there? Well, no there isn't. Now Christ was a man 
who was literally filled with everything that God is. But of course that is because that he also is fully God. And he was God before he was a man. So he's someone who is fully filled with everything that God is. But he's unique in that regard, isn't he, as a man? And Paul says we're complete in him. And we're complete in him in that in Christ we have everything that we require and we have no need to go anywhere else. In Christ as a Christian you are completely saved, completely forgiven and completely assured of everlasting life. And you have that completely. But at the same time, None of us experientially, none of us practically are yet complete in Christ in the sense that we have been perfectly sanctified in our earthly living. That is an ongoing work of grace in all of us. There is a sense in which we are complete in Christ. Because in him we have everything we're ever going to be in need of for the rest of this life and for eternity. But we're not yet complete in terms of our sanctification and what it means to live as a Christian, man or woman. That's ongoing. But for that ongoing work of grace in our lives, for that ongoing work of sanctification we can still be said to be complete in Christ because in him and through him we have everything we need for that sanctifying work to continue. He will complete in you that which he has begun. And so there is a completeness that we have in Christ. But there is also a work in progress which is Christ's work which he is continuing. And in this sense, Paul prays that Christian men and women might be filled with all the fullness of God. And it's a prayer to keep on praying. This isn't a one-off prayer. Lord, fill them with all the fullness. End of story. This is a prayer that he keeps on praying. Lord, fill them with all your fullness, from all your fullness, according to your fullness, drawing upon the abundant and limited resources and riches of God in Christ Jesus. What a prayer that is. There are things, of course, that we can do to assist ourselves in this task. It's a prayer that Paul prays, but there's things that we can do. We can familiarise ourselves with the word of God. Because in the word, God will instruct us and guide us. In it, we'll learn about Christ. In it, we'll find the commands and instructions and exhortations and warnings of Christ. And it's the word of God that the Holy Spirit will use to bear upon us as he brings that fullness to us. The Holy Spirit bringing illumination and understanding into our hearts and minds. And we can regularly bring ourselves under the ministry of the word. 
so that those who have been set apart may guide us and instruct us in these things. We can keep, keep ourselves in godly company so that we're surrounded by good example. So that we have access to wise and godly counsel. And we can pray. Like Paul prayed for ourselves and for one another that we might be filled unto the fullness of God. It's a most glorious thing to pray for. But it isn't something which is restricted to only being an item for prayer. There are practical things that God has given you that you may use and employ. Which will help you in being filled with all his fullness. Use them and pray. And as you pray, use them more. That God might hear us and answer us with this kind of prayer. Being filled unto all the fullness of God. Everything that you're in need of as a Christian believer. Made available to you in Christ. By Christ. Through Christ. An inexhaustible supply of grace. Made available to you. And the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul is that, oh, these Christian believers might be filled. Filled. Make that your prayer. Make that your prayer for one another. Use the means of grace that God has given you that you can employ for yourself to feed of his goodness. What a wonderful prayer. But Paul doesn't leave it there, does he? And he moves into this wonderful doxology at the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And his prayer closes. And I want to highlight three things that appear in this doxology that relate very, very much to the things that Paul has been praying about. The first thing is the expectation. Now to him who is able to do, to do, because it's all God's doing. We've seen that in this series. Because all the praise is to be to him. To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Paul's struggling to find words to make it as big as it needs to be. The expectation that Paul has when he prays this prayer. Now we need to be careful with this phrase, don't we? God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We need to be careful because this isn't license for us to ask of God all kinds of excess. Paul's not suggesting here that we should expect our lives to be filled with all manner of extravagance and luxury. We, we were reminded this morning of uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness uh, desperately in need of food well they were given bread 
But they were given bread in abundance. And they were given bread for 40 years. And it kept and sustained them. But they didn't wake up to a five-course banquet every morning. But they did get bread. And out of the fullness of his exceedingly rich supply, God gave and gave and gave and gave. There they were in the wilderness. No shops. No crops. Nowhere to get food. And he can, who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ask or think. Provided them with bread every day. In the middle of nowhere. But we mustn't use this verse to suggest that we can expect all manner of extravagance and luxury. Not that God couldn't do it. But that is by no means the principle that Paul is trying to expound here. This is not a verse for the prosperity gospel preachers to grab hold of and say, See, I told you. No, no. Look at the context of this verse. Where does the verse come in scripture? Right at the end of Paul's prayer. It's still part of the prayer Paul is praying. Is that important? Yes. Because that's the context in which the verse is set and found. What has Paul just been praying about? That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. That he would dwell in your hearts through faith. That you'll be rooted and grounded in love. That you'll be able to understand and comprehend the love of Christ. That you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Then he prays, verse 20, concerning everything he's just been praying in verses 16 to 19. Now Paul shows us the kinds of things that Christians ought to pray for. He shows us the kinds of things which are most needful. He shows us the kinds of things that we're to prioritise. He shows us the kinds of things which mark out godly living and holiness of life. The things which are to be of most concern to us in prayer are the things which are of greatest concern to God. And Paul lays those bare for us. Now, once we're praying like that, once we're praying like Paul prayed, once we're praying according to the things that God has revealed in the Bible, once we're praying according to those things which are after God's own heart for us, once we're praying in line with God's revealed will, then we can mouth the words of verse 20 with supreme confidence. Then we can declare our expectation that God will answer abundantly. Because it's what he desires for you. It's what his will is for you. It's what he stands waiting to give you. You're not going to throw something at him and he has to stop and stand back and think, oh, now I don't know about this. Let me have a think about that. That's not prayer. That's not the kind of prayer that Paul is praying here. Paul is praying after and according to those things that are on God's heart for his own people. 
those things that God stands ready to give in abundance. And that's why Paul prays with this great expectation at the end as this doxology begins. Strength for the inner man beyond anything that you could have imagined or dared to ask for. What is that thing that you're so afraid of right now? What's that situation that you face that fills you with such terror? God is able to strengthen you far beyond anything that you could have dreamed of for yourself. That's how this works. God is able. You need that strength. You pray. God is able. The need that you have for that inner spiritual life. The need that you have to truly understand and live in the knowledge of union with Christ. What that truly means in the life of a Christian. For the reality of what it means to have Christ at home in your heart. And him being the master in his new home. For you to enter into a new and deeper understanding of the love of Christ. And to have your life rooted and grounded. Paul says, I'm praying this prayer to you, O Lord. And I know that God is able to answer these prayers far more exceedingly abundantly than you could ever ask or think. Can a Christian man or woman really be filled unto all the fullness of God? Oh yes, says Paul. Oh yes. Why? Because of him who is able to do. Can you do it? No. Can I do it? No. Can God do it? Oh yes, says Paul. Oh yes. These are things that God can do. These are the things that God stands ready to do for his children, for his loved ones. Pray with expectation, says Paul. Because when you pray like that, when you come before God with requests like Paul's and all those other topics that we've considered in this little series God stands ready to do exceedingly abundantly more than you ever could ask or think. He will, verse 16, grant you according to the riches of his glory. Isn't that wonderful? That's the promise for you, Christian believer. You can pray with great expectation when you pray after God's own heart for you, his people. And secondly, in this doxology, we have the means, the means, according to the power that works in us. Because the power of God is working in you. Do you remember what we read in chapter one, early in this little series? Do you recall? From verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, you see, again, this, these are the things, these are the prayers that God is ready to answer exceedingly abundantly. This is the way to pray for one another. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? That's the power. According to the power that works in us, says Paul. Therein lies Paul's confidence. Therein lies Paul's hope. Do you recall Paul's own testimony in Colossians chapter 1 at verse 29? He says this, to this end I also labour. And that's the word for hard, endeavour, graft. Striving according to his working which works in me mightily yes I'm working hard says Paul but my working hard is a result of God's power at work in me it's not my own doing it's not my own power that's God's power at work in me that was his own testimony and that's what he's praying for Christians here because he knows God's power will come and do his work what power this is the very power that raised Christ from the dead the very power that brought Christ out of the out of the tomb while the stone was still in its place no wonder Paul can pray with great expectation and with great confidence and with so much hope that God will hear and answer and that he will do this in the life of believers Paul remembers how it's going to be achieved and he knows that these are the very things that God's spirit, the helper, the comforter, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth. These are the very things that Christ and the father have sent the spirit to do. So Paul prays with great expectation. And he knows that the means are there because they're gods. And then he, then he mentions the result. In verse 21, the result, to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever. That, that's what it's all leading to. That's what all of this is all about. It's leading to that one final thing. Glory, going to God. One of the strong effects of sin in our hearts is that we long to be acknowledged and praised for the things that we've done. We love when people acknowledge what we've done. And, and it shows itself very easily in certain circumstances. Let someone else be credited for something you have done and immediately something rises up inside you. Uh, that was actually me and, and it rises I, 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 that was my doing I want the credit for it 
I want to receive the thanks for that. That was me. You should be acknowledging me. You should be crediting me. That self-centeredness which lies at the centre of the sinful heart. But in the church, you see, it's so very different. It's completely different. We were reminded of it twice this last week at the Bible convention on, from two different preachers. The first will be last. The last will be first. It's completely the other way around in God's kingdom. It's completely the other way around in the realm of Christ. It has to be different. And notice that verse 21 is a continuation of verse 20. It's not two separate things. It's all one sentence. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory. To him be glory. Because he has been the author of everything. He has been the instigator of everything. He has been the cause of everything. He has been the power source behind everything. His is the wisdom behind it all. To him be the glory. In the church. In the church, unlike in the world, we are constantly pointing away from ourselves and to God. The world has turned its back on God and wants it all for itself. In the church, it's been put the right way round again. And in the church, we're constantly pointing away from ourselves and to God that he might be honoured, that he might be praised, that he might be the one that people look to and acknowledge. And let's be honest, if God isn't glorified in the church, then here on earth, he isn't going to be glorified anywhere. If he's going to be glorified anywhere, it's in the church. And if it doesn't happen here, this side of heaven, heaven, it isn't happening at all. This ultimately what the church is for. For the glorification of God. That's how it's always been. That's how it always will be throughout all ages. This giving and bringing glory to God in the church is, according to Stuart Olliot, the first and highest task of the church. It even comes above evangelism. It comes above worship. I mean physical worship. It comes above everything. The giving of glory to God in the church is the first and highest task of the church. To prostrate ourselves before he who is King of kings and Lord of lords and to give unto him all the praise and glory that is due his name. We are to begin here the way we will spend all of eternity. Such love as we have been shown in the Lord Jesus Christ deserves nothing less. I began this series by asking some questions. 
Once you become a Christian, once a local church has been established, what next? What should your expectations be? What should you be wanting to see? What should you be aiming for? How ought a Christian to grow? How ought a local church to grow? How should things develop in the future? I believe that Paul, on his knees in prayer, provides all the answers to those questions that we'll ever need, culminating with his petitions in Ephesians chapter 3. Where do you go from here once you become a Christian? Where do you go from here once a local church has been established? Let's allow Christ's apostle to have the final word. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, what is the length, what is the depth, what is the height of Christ's love. To know that love of Christ which passes knowledge to be filled with all the fullness of God. And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus.